This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 494. To manage anxiety, we have to take a two-pronged approach. We have to deal with symptoms and sources. Symptoms are what you experience physiologically, and sources are the things that initiate and exacerbate your anxiety. Many of us dread having to convey our ideas to others, often feeling ill-equipped, anxious, and awkward. Public speaking experts help by focusing on planned communication experiences like slide presentations, pitches, or formal talks. Yet, most of our professional and personal communication occurs in spontaneous situations that creep up on us and all too often leave us frustrated and stumbling for words. How can we rise to the occasion and shine when we're put on the spot? Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, and it's those issues and more that we're tackling today. I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, that intentional and consistent reading has to be a part of that plan. So what I try to do is bring the key insights and main ideas from some of my favorite books straight to you directly from the authors themselves. Today, that author is Matt Abrahams. He's written a book called Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. I'll be asking Matt to share proven techniques for dealing with anxiety when speaking on the spot, how to go from viewing interactions as threats to opportunities for learning, collaboration, and growth, the benefits to our audience when we think deliberately about how we'll structure what we're going to say, and plenty more. By the way, Matt was our special guest expert last month inside the Read to Lead community, where Read to Lead Plus members got to meet Matt and ask him questions directly about this and other topics. Our theme this month is mindset and mindfulness. And just a couple of weeks ago, members had the opportunity to meet and chat with Dr. Heather Penny, author of a book called The Life You're Made For. And next month, we're going to be joined by authors Chris Mefford and Kyle Bucket, who together have written a book called Leadership is Overrated, How Navy Seals and Successful Businesses Create Self-Leading Teams that win. If you're not a part of the Read to Lead community as a Read to Lead Plus member, you're missing out on these excellent conversations and learning opportunities. And guess what? It's just nine bucks a month. That's it. And your first two weeks are free. So you can try it first to see if you'll like it. To find out more about this, just go to jeffbrown.me. That's jeffbrown.me. Matt Abrahams is a leading expert in communication with decades of experience as an educator, author, podcast host, and coach. As a lecturer in organizational behavior at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business, he teaches popular classes in strategic communication and effective virtual presenting. He received Stanford's GSB's Alumni Teaching Award in recognition of his teaching students around the world. When he isn't teaching, Matt is a sought-after keynote speaker and communication consultant. He's helped countless presenters improve and hone their communication, including some who've delivered IPO roadshows, as well as TED, World Economic Forum, and Nobel Prize presentations. His online talks garner millions of views, and he hosts the popular award-winning podcast, Think Fast, Talk Smart, the podcast. His previous book, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, 50 Techniques for Confident and Compelling Presenting, has helped thousands of people manage speaking anxiety and present more confidently and authentically. His brand new book is called Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. Well, let me officially welcome you to the podcast. I know you're no stranger to podcasts doing your own, but uh, thank you for taking time to be on this one. I appreciate it. 
Jeff, I'm thrilled to be here and look forward to our conversation for sure. I wanted to start by asking you about your experience working your way up to Black Belt. Mm. Talk to me about uh, that, that process and what it was like when you finally, when you finally made it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I don't often talk about my martial arts experience, but I, I've been doing martial arts for four decades now, and I've studied in many different arts, but there's one in particular that I have my highest rank in. And I worked very, very hard to to achieve my first black belt. Uh, my instructor is very demanding, but, but uh, deservedly so, and I respect that. And when I finally achieved it, I, I felt like this huge accomplishment and my instructor congratulated me. He said, uh, congratulations. Thank you very much. And then he looked at me and said, now let's get started. And literally the, de- the day I got the rank, there's a big test, a big formal thing. Literally about 20 minutes after passing the test, getting the black belt, putting it on for the first time, we were training again. And, and what it taught me at the time, I was confused and, and I guess a little disappointed. But what it taught me is there's always something more to learn. And that the outward color of my belt in that case might signal something, but internally all it signaled is, is the next step. And, and that's something that I've taken with me in lots of endeavors when I've tried to learn new things, when I teach to my students. Mm-hmm. So it was a very uh, joyous moment getting that rank. And it was also a, a big epiphany uh, too. And it makes a great epilogue to the book. <laughs> it, it, and it provided a great way to end the book. That's true. Yes. Yeah. But let's get started now that we've, yes. now that we've gone through this. So Matt uh, divides the book into two parts. Part two helps us apply what we learn in part one, which is the six parts of, of Matt's uh, methodology, which I want to dig into here a little bit. Um, what do you mean, first of all, Matt, when you say that, that speaking is about breath and, and breath control as much as anything? Yeah. So, you know, our voice is a wind instrument. Uh, The more air you put through it, the more you can do with it. And many of us don't focus on the actual production of the sound. Mm. And yet many of the things that get in our way, especially around anxiety, are a direct result of our breath and lack of breath control. Mm. So sometimes people speak faster. Sometimes at the end of the sentences, their volume goes up. Lots of things that happen during anxiety in speaking are related to breath. Plus, breath can help relax you. It can slow down your autonomic nervous system. So I, I think that it's important, especially when talking about anxiety and confidence, that we at least spend a little bit of time talking about breath. And you talk about this in the book too, prepared speaking, speaking where we, we're, we're doing a formal presentation with slides. Maybe we can lean on a little bit and, and practice and all that is, is, is hard enough. But you know, spontaneously speaking or being called upon is especially so. With regard specifically to anxiety, what are what are some of your favorite techniques for for dealing with that? Because we don't we don't rid ourselves of it completely, right? No, 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 no. So several things you've said there. One, there is a difference between planned and spontaneous speaking. And if you think about it, Jeff, most of our professional and personal communication is spontaneous. Mm. It's not planned. And yet, if we were ever to learn anything or practice, we mostly do that for planned speaking, our pitches, our meetings, etc. So this, this notion of speaking in the moment is something we need to focus on. And anxiety looms large in this. And you're right. Uh, I'm not about trying to help people overcome anxiety because I don't 
don't quite think you can. I think there can always be a situation and in terms of communication that can make you nervous. But I do believe we can learn to manage our anxiety so it doesn't manage us. Mm -hmm. And in fact, having a little anxiety can be helpful. It gives you energy, helps you focus. So to manage anxiety, we have to take a two-pronged approach. We have to deal with symptoms and sources. Symptoms are what you experience physiologically. Mm -hmm. And sources are the things that initiate and exacerbate your anxiety. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about you, Jeff. I'd be curious for you to share what happens for you you when you get nervous. For me, I blush and I I perspire. I sweat and turn red. Do you have any tells or signs that happen for you? Yes. Probably the the most dramatic one is dry mouth. Yeah. And I have to resort to some sort of breathing exercises because I notice that my heart beat has picked up. Great. And thank you for sharing. So yeah, we all have different symptoms. It's really the fight or flight response right. that's happening. We we feel under threat in these speaking situations. And having a lozenge for dry mouth works great. It's a recommendation I have. Sometimes warm water can help before speaking. Uh, for the sweating and the blushing that I get, that's because my core body temperature is going up. My heart's beating faster and I tense up. So you're pushing more blood through tighter tubes. It's like when you exercise, same things happen. Happening. So if we can cool ourselves down, we'll blush and sweat less. A great way to cool yourself down is to hold something cold in the palms of your hand. The palms of your hand are thermoregulators for your body. If you've ever on a cold morning held a warm cup of tea or coffee and felt it warm you up, just doing that in reverse. So there are things we can do to manage the symptoms, just like we can manage the sources. For example, many of us see spontaneous speaking, answering questions, giving feedback in the moment as threats or challenges. Like I have to say the right answer, or I I have to perform well. And if we reframe that and say, hey, this is an opportunity to connect, to expand, expand what we've done, to collaborate, that can reduce some of the pressure. So there, there are things we can do to deal with our sources as well as our symptoms. I like your, your take on mistakes as being missed takes, you know, thinking like a director and actors uh, in, in filming and trying several iterations, that sort of thing. But I want you to defend this idea from the book where you say the more mediocre you give yourself permission to be, the better and more compelling a speaker you become. How is how is that possible? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you for commenting on this notion of missed takes. Many of us are, are made afraid. We want to do it right. We want to be the best we can. And that means that when we make a mistake, we feel really awful about it. We feel bad about ourselves and we, and we beat ourselves up. Mm-hmm. So I like reframing mistakes as missed takes. You know, a movie director asks actors to do the same scene over multiple times in multiple ways, not because any one way was bad. It's just looking for other opportunities or options. And we can think of our communication that way. And that feeds into the question you asked about mediocrity. So I I teach at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. I have the audacity in front of some of the most bright uh, young business minds to say, strive for mediocrity. And you should literally, Jeff, their jaws drop. They're like, what? (laughs) Nobody in their their lives has ever told them to just be mediocre. Mm. But here's the logic. When you put so much pressure on yourself to do it right, you actually reduce the likelihood that you will do it well. First and foremost, there is no right way to communicate. There are better and worse ways, but there is no one right way. So we have to disabuse ourselves of that. But second, when I strive to do it right or whatever right is in my mind, I am judging and evaluating everything I'm saying. 
And that means I have less cognitive bandwidth, less cognitive resources, fewer cognitive resources to actually focus on what I'm saying at all. So think of your brain as a computer. It's not a great analogy, but it works in this case. If you on your phone have lots of apps open, or if you on your laptop or desktop have lots of uh, windows open, mm-hmm. your your computer is actually performing less well. It's not optimized mm-hmm. as it could be if it were just running one program. Your brain's like that. If I'm worrying and judging everything that I'm saying, I'm actually not operating it as as efficiently as I can. Mm. So if I can let myself, give myself permission not to do it perfectly, but just to get it done, to just be mediocre, just do it, then I actually have all those freed up resources to do it well. So the actual complete saying that I tell my students is strive for mediocrity so you can achieve greatness. Because if you give yourself permission just to get it done, you have more mental energy and focus to do it really well. Speaking of your class, as you're talking, I'm reminded of this example you give in the book where your students shout out different topics and you you sort of grab one at random and sh- yeah. show them how you can riff on it for five minutes and be compelling at the same time. I just think that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, it, you know, they see it as magical, but then I right. deconstruct what I'm doing. It's it's right. an example I use when we when I talk about structure and, and you and I might get to that topic, but it's it's not magic. It, it, it's actually uh, anybody can do what I demonstrate to my students. Uh, you just have to practice and have some tools in place to make it work. Yeah. You mentioned reframing earlier, and I'm wondering if you can maybe unpack some techniques that can help us go from, as you said, viewing this as a threat to as an opportunity to learn and collaborate and, and grow. Yeah. So reframing is a critical component to managing our, uh, these situations and helping us with anxiety as well. So it, it is natural that when somebody does something to us that is in the moment and we, we, we feel like we might not be as prepared as we can be to be defensive. We want to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the first thing to do is to, to see it not as a threat. So, so reframe it as an opportunity. Think to yourself in this moment, how can I and the person I'm talking to or people I'm talking to benefit? So flip it into benefits versus threats. Mm. Another thing that, that we can do is really focus ourselves on the audience and the present moment. So if, if I am worried about, oh, what might this mean for my career or the, the project or, or idea I'm trying to advocate for? Those are future thoughts. Those are thoughts about what comes in the future. Mm-hmm. And if I can just be present, paying attention to what you need, what's happening in the moment, then all of a sudden that anxiety goes away. Because if my fear is being induced by the a future negative consequence, being present short circuits that. Mm. And I can help myself be present by reminding myself that in any communication, I'm really in service of you and your needs. I I need to help Mm. you see my point of view or you to grow, change or develop. So by putting my attention on you and your needs, by being present oriented, by seeing it as an opportunity, all of a sudden those reframes help me feel more comfortable, confident, and be able to be more agile in the moment. We teased structure just a minute ago. Uh, yeah. And this is, this is probably my favorite chapter in the book, I think. Um, Thank you. What are some of the, the benefits to our audience? You talked about uh, putting them first. What are the benefits to our audience when we think deliberately about how we'll structure what it is we're going to say? So the book is really, the first part of the book is divided into two sections, mindset and message. And we've talked a bit about the mindset part, anxiety, reframing, et cetera. The, the messaging part is really primarily about structure, as you brought up. 
To me, a structure is nothing more than a logical connection of information. And your question was, how does structure help our audience? So I'll start there. Mm. If I can package up my messages in a way that's clear and concise, it makes it easier for you to attend. That is, you'll want to pay attention because it's easier to understand. And you're more likely to then take the message with you. Packaged messages, structured messages are more easily remembered and acted upon. Mm. So when I say structure, I, I contrast it to a list. Many of us just give lists or bullet points when, when we speak. A structure has a beginning, middle, and an end. The structure that many people listening in might be familiar with, if you have ever tried to persuade somebody of something or pitch an idea, product, service, mm. you might have used the structure problem, solution, benefit. You start by saying, here's what the problem is that I'm trying to solve. Here's my suggestion for how to solve it. And here are the benefits that result. That's what I mean by a structure. It's like a recipe. So when an audience hears something so clearly and concisely laid out, it just makes it easier. It's more engaging. Now, there's another side of this coin. It helps me too. When I think in terms of the structure I use, it helps me prioritize what I'm going to say. It helps me focus. So the magic to getting back to your prior question, the magic that helps me speak in the moment, somebody gives me a topic 15 seconds later, I give a five minute, 10 minute presentation is I, the first thing I do is I pick what's my structure. So you give me a topic. I say, okay, that's a problem, solution, benefit structure I can use. And mm. then all I have to do is think about how do I talk about the problem? How do I talk about the solution? How do I talk about the benefit? Mm. It's much easier on me as well. So structure helps both you as the communicator and the audience. I had a conversation with uh, someone you may know, Michael Port. Uh -huh. uh, who wrote the book, Steal the Show, also booked solid, I think is his other book, a New York Times bestselling author and former actor. And something he says in the book, Steal the Show, is without preparation, spontaneity is just winging it. And, and I think <laughs> what I hear from you and this section of the book in particular, because it sounds counterintuitive, that, that we can actually apply structure, we can actually plan and prepare spontaneity, ultimately, is what you're saying. That is the biggest irony in the book is that you can yeah. prepare to be spontaneous. And when you first hear that, you go, that, that sounds crazy. I, I, that's mm. antithetical. But in fact, if you think about a lot of things in our lives or things that we witness and enjoy, it's true. So for example, jazz musicians, jazz is very spontaneous, but it's not random, right? They're playing right. certain chords that they've prepared together. There, there are certain logical progressions that happen. Improvisation, when you see people get up on stage and, and improvise a scene, that's spontaneous, but they're following rules. Improv has very specific rules. The one everybody knows is yes and. If, right. if I go onto a stage with you, Jeff, and I know you are always going to accept whatever offer I give in that moment, that frees me up. So that helps me that knowing that, that I say, Jeff, oh, and I call you, I say, hey, grandma, how are you? I know you're going to become grandma. That really <laughs> helps the scene go. If, if I don't know, you might say, I'm grandpa, not grandma. Then all of a sudden things are up in the air. So right. a lot of things that we enjoy and do, there are there are underlying rules and structures to them that allow for freedom. If you'll allow me one more second, Jeff, I don't know if you remember in the book, I interviewed a woman who designs playgrounds for children. Yes. And I found this fascinating because her research shows and her experience shows that kids are more creative and have more fun when they have a play structure to play on mm -hmm. rather than just an open field. So the structure actually sets them free to be creative. And the same thing is true in our communication. The structure sets you free because it gives you the boundaries and, and the beginnings and the endings so that you can do the spontaneous work. 
I've talked to hundreds of podcasters in particular as a former radio guy about this very subject yeah. uh, when it comes to interviewing people and, and, and many who think you can just come into this scenario and just sort of wing it and make it up as you go. And that can sometimes work, but, but I like to come at these interactions having an idea of what I want my audience to get out of it and then design the conversation such that we actually reach that goal or, or, or by designing it, we have a much higher likelihood of reaching that goal. And then within that framework, I can make pit stops and, and do things I hadn't intended or planned to do. But then because I have a map, I, I, I know when I'm off and can easily get back to it and on it. I love that. And, and you've, in essence, summarized some of the key points of the book. You, you mm-hmm. know your audience. What do you want your audience to get out of it? You think about a map or a recipe for how to get there. And because you have that, you can do that meandering that you're talking about because you know the directionality of where you want to go. That's lovely. You said that very, very well. Yeah, I, I learned a long time ago in radio that only when you have a map do you know when you're lost. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Something and that, but... you have the tool to get you back on track. Yeah. Well, let's let's turn our attention to uh, the sixth chapter on focus. Describe, Matt, if you would, some of the dimensions or qualities of focus messages that you write about. Yeah. So the last chapter in the first part of the book is all about focus. And here's why. Many of us, when we speak spontaneously, are discovering our responses as we're saying it. And we tend to <laughs> ramble And we tend not to be as focused. And when we're not focused or clear, it's much harder for the audience. So I talk in this chapter about some techniques you can use to help with precision and concision. A lot of it is one of the things we've talked about already. Know your audience. If you can make your content relevant to your audience and salient for them, they will pay more attention. And by virtue of thinking about what's important for the audience, it helps you focus your message. It helps you prioritize. So understanding what's important to them helps me prioritize among all the things I could potentially say. Mm-hmm. Another great tool to, to be thinking about is the language that we use. Because we know a lot about what we're saying, we suffer from the curse of knowledge. We know <laughs> too much about what we're saying. And so we have to take time to reflect on word choice. Do we use acronyms? Are we using jargon? All of that can help our audience lose focus. So we have to think about that. We also have to think about how do we prioritize and and really think about what's the most important of all the things I can say. In the book, I, I use a lot of the, I believe the best way to learn communication is to do it. So there are lots of these try this sections where I ask people to actually try something that we've talked about. And one of the things I have mm. people do in this section, the chapter six, is I say, think about what you've just read in this chapter, summarize it in 50 words. <laughs> getting people to really prioritize and think and doing drills like that can really help. Uh, When I teach this to my students, I play this improv game. I give people a paragraph. It's like four or five sentences. I put it up on a, I project it on a screen Mm. and I have people in groups of four and I have people holding up their hands with different numbers. So one person has 10, one person has seven, another has five and one has three. So their hands are up like this. And I say, Each of you now is going to go around and summarize this paragraph in only the number of words that you have on your fingers. So they literally (laughs) count it down. And and it really helps people to practice prioritizing. We tend to think everything we say is important. At least my teenagers accuse me of that. Uh, but, But it's not. You know, some things are more important than others. And training yourself to identify what's the most important for this audience helps you be more focused in your communication. You know, I, one of the ways I'm excited to apply what I've learned here, I give a, a fair amount of prepared presentations. 
and always relish the opportunity for Q&A. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to applying much of this mm-hmm. to the Q&A aspect of what I'm doing. I, I pride myself on being fairly good at that, but I've never applied, for example, we talked about structure. I've never applied any of these structure techniques to my responses. And I, and I couldn't help but think as I was reading how much better my responses could be than maybe they, maybe they are decent, but how much better could they be just by applying things like structure to what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So what you're demonstrating there is what I hope is true for everybody is is understanding that no matter where you are, if you're good at it, great, you can still get better. If you're not as good at it or feeling like you're not as good at it, at it then you can also work. So communication <laughs> to me, just like we started by talking about my martial arts career, there's mm-hmm. always something new to learn. There's always something to hone. There's no end point in this. So mm-hmm. so I love that you're curious and and I I absolutely 100% know that structure can help you and your audience when it comes to Q&A. Mm-hmm. And in the book, I have a whole section on a structure that works well for Q&A. And, and I encourage you to try to deploy that and hopefully you'll see the benefit of doing so. Certainly will. Um, let's talk about AI uh, for yeah. a second. That's on everybody's mind. Is it possible yeah. to leverage generative AI to help us become better communicators? And if so, what would that look like exactly? Yeah. So as somebody who teaches strategic communication, we think a, I'm thinking a lot about AI, right? And how that can factor in. So yes, generative AI, I think can be a tool in this. One of the, the, there are only three ways that I know to improve communication. It's repetition, reflection, and feedback. And this is true of any skill you want to develop repetition, reflection, and feedback. You got to practice. You got to reflect, am I getting better? What's working? What's not working? And then get feedback from others to, to confirm. We're not always the best judges of our, our communication. And generative AI can help in, in many of these aspects. So in terms of repetition practice, for you, Jeff, you were talking about Q&A. You could type into generative AI the, the topic of your presentation, the type of audience you're speaking to, and you could say, create five questions based on this topic for this type of audience. In generative AI, I'll create those questions and then just immediately practice answering them, right? So you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're replicating the spontaneity of somebody asking a question. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the question is going to be. You know the domain generally, and that can help. There yeah. are also tools that people have created that embed AI into them to help. So there's this tool that I really like. It's it's called poised.com and it will take a recording of or, or a live communication you're doing and it will give you feedback and AI suggestions that you could do better at. So so it might comment on the number of filler words you use and give you a technique for reducing it. It might notice the type of jargon you tend to use and give you suggestions. So I think AI can help in many regards mm-hmm. to improving our communication. And I love that example. I've used Poised. And uh-huh. if I'm not mistaken, there is a feature, if you're comfortable with this, you can employ that gives you feedback in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I It, it can be hard to be speaking and getting feedback simultaneously. Right, right. Uh, that That's a skill in and of itself. Uh, <laughs> you know, when, when somebody's saying, when you're getting feedback that you're, you're talking too long, it's pretty easy to stop talking. But, <laughs> but if it says you, you've just said, um, five times, but it has a lot of other features that aren't mm-hmm. in real time that can be really instructive. Something that, that I've often attempted to do, especially back when uh, nerves for me in public speaking in particular and, and, and in spontaneous speaking were a little more debilitating was try things that at least made me feel confident or seem confident or compelling or authentic. Yeah. Talk a bit about presence. What are some things we can do 
to maybe yeah. appear more confident or compelling or authentic, maybe even when we aren't on the inside as much as we'd like to be. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, again, as with many of your questions, I have lots of things to say. So let me take a, a step back and, and just say that there is a perception gap between what I feel and experience and what my audience sees and experiences. We are privy to a lot of information that the audience doesn't know. My audience can't tell if my heart's beating fast. My audience doesn't know what I intended to say if it's a prepared presentation. And so in my classes and in my coaching, I will often digitally record people and have them watch it and not just watch it normally. I have them watch it with sound only and then video only, and then both together. And they, mm -hmm. they notice different things. But across everybody, virtually everybody I work with, the, the first thing they say is, I did not look as nervous as I felt. Mm. And that's an important learning for all of us. We, we think everybody can see everything that we're experiencing, and that's not true. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, there are many things we can do in our presence to convey confidence, even if we're not quite there yet. It, it, you know, in acting, they call it act as if, right? Act mm -hmm. as if you're mm -hmm. confident mm -hmm. and people will see you as confident, which is cool because if people see you as confident, they'll treat you that way. And then you begin to feel more confident. <laughs> so what are some things you can do? First and foremost, how you hold your body. You want to be big, balanced, and still. People who are nervous make themselves small. They fidget and, and they, they, they contort their bodies in ways that, that don't look like they're confident. So if you are standing or sitting in or virtual or, or in person, take your scapula, your shoulder blades, and just pull them down. Pull them down. That helps make you broader. I'm not saying puff your chest out. You don't pull your elbows back. You just pull your shoulder blades down. That makes you look bigger. And, and that makes you look more confident. People who get nervous, hunch, slouch, their arms come up to protect. So just pull those shoulder blades down. Keep your head straight. Nervous people tend to tilt their heads or tilt their bodies. And instead of rocking and swaying or shifting, plant your feet if you're standing so they're parallel underneath your shoulders. That locks off your hips so you can't sway as much. <laughs> and you look confident. Now, I'm not saying stand rigid like you're a, like you're a military guard guarding something, but simply Pull the shoulder blades down, head straight, feet parallel, and all of a sudden you appear confident. The other thing I'll say is try to make eye contact here in North America, North American culture. Eye contact is important. If your eyes are darting all over the place, it signals anxiety. So if I'm on a virtual call, I look at the camera. If I'm in front of a large room, I look at different quadrants of the room to, to signal that I'm connecting with the audience through my eyes. And if you do those things, your audience will treat you as if you're confident and you'll begin to feel more confident. As you're talking and evaluating what we should avoid doing, I'm in my mind, I'm like, am I doing any of those things right now? Am I doing this? <laughs> you're doing great. Your posture is great. Your eye contact's fantastic. <laughs> well, let, what, ha what have I not asked you, Matt, that you'd love to make sure you have the chance to impart with regard to the book or your podcast or, or anything else that you're working on currently? If you'll allow me two things, uh, one, uh, the, a big portion of the book and a big portion of all communication. And the longer I've done this and I've done this for decades, the more I realize how important listening is in communication. What was that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> huh? What'd you say? Huh? Um, <laughs> I so I have to tell you, uh, my wife can get very bothered when I teach listening skills. She will often say, you need to read what you teach me, my friend. Uh, so <laughs> we all have, we all have some work we can do, um, but yeah. listening is a critical compo component of any communication, but especially spontaneous speaking. Let me paint a scenario for you, Jeff. Imagine uh, you're coming out of a meeting with a colleague and your, your colleague says, 
What do you think? How'd that go? You might immediately hear, oh, they're asking for feedback. Okay, well, here's what could have been better. I think you should have done this. We should have done that. I, I can't believe you weren't as prepared here. So you're giving feedback in the moment. But had you actually really listened, not just to what your partner said, but how they said it, their demeanor, you might have come up with a different conclusion. You might have noticed your partner left through the back door of the meeting room, not the front door where everybody else left. You might have noticed that your partner's affect was a little blunted when they asked the question. They were looking down, looking out the window. You might, had you really been listening in that moment, notice that what the person really needed was not feedback. They needed support. Mm. And when you piled on a bunch of constructive feedback, you might have made that situation worse mm. rather than making it better. So we need to make sure that we listen in a very focused way to what people are saying and not saying, as well as how they're saying it, because that gives us insight into how we can best respond in the moment. I have a colleague at the business school at Stanford. His name is Colin Dobbs and Colin teaches high stakes communication, uh, critical conversations where, where there's some combative nature to it. And he has a methodology he calls pace, space, grace for handling those situations. Mm. And with his permission, I borrowed that to talk about how we can be better listeners. Mm. Pace, we have to slow down. We are all moving very quickly. We've got lots of distractions, devices coming our way. If you slow down, you're in a better place to listen attentively. If you give yourself a little space, maybe physically moving to a different environment, stepping back, or in some cases, leaning in, that will help. So pace and, and space, and then grace. And by grace, I mean, give yourself permission to not just listen to what you think you're hearing, but to really listen to what somebody is saying, but also listen to what your intuition is saying, your, what's your, your gut saying in that circumstance. And when we listen in that way, we are much more likely to respond better. So the one thing we hadn't talked about, Jeff, I think, which is really important in any communication, especially spontaneous is listening. Mm. And if people want to learn more, obviously happy to have them check out Think Faster, Talk Smarter, the book on spontaneous speaking, which is a derivative of my Think Fast, Talk Smart podcast uh, that I do. And, and I'm a big user on LinkedIn. If people are interested, they can connect with me there too. Awesome. Um, I want to ask you, you mentioned a number of books in your book. I'd be curious to know what's a book or two that's had a dramatic or huge impact on your life, would you say, as, as this is the Read to Lead podcast after all? Absolutely. And I, lo I love, I learn a lot from your podcast and I, I love reading books that can help. I'm a big applied person. So I, I read books that I can, that can give me direct tools that I can change with. So I'll share two with you. One, both are a little older. One is older than the other. Um, Chip and Dan Heath's book, Made to Stick, I think is an excellent book for communication and just how to think about crafting messages, typically planned messages for uh, really helping them in a very crowded world where attention is the most precious commodity. Made to Stick is a fantastic book. I have read it several times. I hope for success of my book for what that book does. If you look at my version of Made to Stick, it is dog-eared, underlined, the pages. I mean, I've read it so many times. I would love for people to find that kind of value in my book where they're, you're, you're engaging with it, not just reading it. And then the other book, which I think is it was life-changing for me as a book called Improv Wisdom by Patricia Ryan Madsen. It is taking principles from improvisation and applying them to our lives. And, and I have changed as a human being as a result of that book in ways that other books haven't moved me. So those are two books that I have read and continually continue to reread that have really impacted me. 
Yeah, that book was given to me, the Chip and Dan Heath book. Gosh, what was it, 20 years ago when that came out? Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's been around a while. Uh, a former uh, radio or current, still radio consultant, but former to me that I used to work with years ago gave me that. And, and that impacted my communication skills, I would say, in a very powerful way. And, and a book I still refer back to, it's right behind me on the shelf, and as are yeah, yeah, several, several other yeah. Chip and Dan Heath books. Right, right. Yeah. Now, I, I'm not much of a dog ear person, though I do have a page or two in your book, Dog Eared, but I didn't at least want to just show you really quickly just all the the highlights and pen marks oh, there you go. And <laughs> it's covered. Yeah, if you have no idea how much that means to me so in uh, when you produce a book a lot of people say how will you know if your book's successful do you want to be on this bestseller and that's not important to me what you just showed me actually really touches me deeply because that's that's why i do what i do i really want to help people hone their skills and if people are doing that and it's helping them, then I have been successful. So Jeff, you've made my day actually. And I'm not sure you really have made my day because that's that's my goal is people yeah. use this stuff to get better and feel more confident communicating. Thank you. Final question. I'm a, a big believer in effective personal knowledge management and have studied this for a few years now and even teach a course called Note Making Mastery, where we walk through collect, connect, crystallize, and create with regard to doing an effective job of capturing the knowledge that you want to retain and comprehend and make sure that it doesn't get lost and can form building blocks to, to things you create later. I'd be curious to know what, if any, uh, techniques or strategies you use to make sure knowledge you come across from other people that you want to be able to use in your work in the future or what have you doesn't get lost, it is used and is easily found when you need it and, that's, and that sort of thing. I love that course you teach. I need to be a disciple of, of that uh, because I, I, th I believe I could be better at it. So the two things that I use to help me remember information and keep it top of mind, one is apply it. I always try to apply whatever I learn. I think, and, and if I can't apply it immediately, I try to think about ways I could apply it. I learn best through doing. Uh, and that's part of why mar the martial arts have always been so important to me because you, you, you don't learn the martial arts by thinking about them, you you do it. Uh, and so that that helps. I am also a huge user of acronyms. Uh, I, I If I can make an acronym, the acronyms will stick with me. Mm -hmm. One of the tasks in the book and one of the tasks I always give my students is to create an anxiety management plan, which in essence is an acronym where it represents different techniques you can use to help yourself feel better. So mm -hmm. to me, it's putting into action an acronym. So I guess I use a double A approach, acronyms and action. Well, the book again is called Think Faster, Talk Smarter from the host of the Think Fast, Talk Smart, the podcast. How to speak successfully when you're put on the spot. His name is Matt Abrahams. And this is a book that definitely should be in your arsenal. And I would suggest buying it for your entire team. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jeff. I, I really enjoyed the conversation and appreciate you having me on. You know, I mentioned earlier that you're missing out on these private talks with folks like Matt when you're not a member of Read to Lead Plus inside the Read to Lead community. You can take advantage of our special time machine, meaning when you join the Read to Lead community today, you can go back and watch the replays, not only that of our time with Matt, but all of our previous guests who have visited us over the last several months. Again, your first two weeks are free. After that, it's only $9 a month. We'd love to have you as the newest Read to Lead Plus member inside the Read to Lead community. To find out more about it, go to jeffbrown.me. Next week on the show, we're going to hear from author Eduardo Braseno, and he's written a new book called The Performance Paradox, Turning the Power of Mindset into Action, which is especially appropriate in that, again, mindset happens to be our theme inside the community 
this month. I hope you'll come back for that conversation with Eduardo next week. Well, that does it for this week. Hope to see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.